Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to our uh, latest talk. Uh, this week, we are talking with a friend of ours who we've worked with a couple times and look forward to working with uh, more in the future. Uh, local to the Central Coast, this is Brooke Monroe. Uh, Brooke, uh, introduce yourself to our viewers. Yeah, well, Carlos, Kyle, thank you for having me. Um, for any of you that don't know who I am, my name is Brooke Monroe. I'm a uh, film and uh, media composer. Uh, I, I I am located here uh, in the central coast of California. And um, yeah, I've gotten to work on a couple uh, projects, um, one with each, Carlos and Kyle, and had a hell of a time doing it. So looking forward to doing it again. So tell us a little bit about, well, like, where are you from originally? Are you from around here originally, or did you come here? And then how, you know, you started getting involved in music in general. So um, I'll, I'll do a condensed version. I was born in LA, lived in kind of various cities of Southern California. And uh, ultimately, my mom and I moved up here to... Uh, Pass Robles and or Templeton, I should say. And that was about 2000. And then, you know, I lived there while I went to high school, while I went to uh, college at Cal Poly. And then I started moving my way down uh, to San Luis. I moved to Rio Grande. My wife and I bought a house in Napomo, and now we live in Orchid. So while I don't live about an hour away from, from my folks, but uh, this has been kind of what we call home now. And I started actually listening to music around that same time. When I moved up here, I got in, involved in music um, at first just from a purely kind of listening standpoint. Um, while I listened to stuff on my parents' radio, I, I never really had music of my own and it wasn't until I got into bands like Green Day and Blink-182. Um, those really uh, gave me a lot of uh, optimism that I could learn how to play their songs on guitar. And and I wanted to, and it was really thrilling. And one of my neighbors had a guitar. I had a guitar that I'd had for a few, few years that I'd never learned how to play. And ultimately just picked it up, taught me how to play a couple things, and then that kind of started my journey as a musician, um, started playing in bands. Awesome. Um, and then what inspired that transition then from, from that style of playing in music into, um, you know, doing composing? Yeah. The interesting thing for me is, I don't want to say this happened by accident, but in a way it kind of did. I never aspired to be a composer growing up. I was a huge movie lover. I'm a massive Star Wars fan since a very early age. And so music affected me in a way that um, I knew was special in terms of, you know, the way that, you know, these prolific composers write, but it never felt like something I wanted to do. I was so hyper-focused on um, producing or making records, writing records, playing with my friends, um, playing in, in, in bands and touring and things like that. And it's really inspiring to do 
do those things. And I had a lot of fun doing it too. And when it came time to kind of settle down, uh, you know, my band had been playing for several years and I knew that it was time for me to kind of step away from that. I took time off from playing music for a good, um, gosh, I probably stopped playing for close to a year. Um, I just wrote a little bit here and there, but I really started investing my time in um, watching films a little more intently or in, uh, at least getting a better understanding and appreciation for the filmmaking aspect of it. And just, I'd watch a lot of pretty much every film that I owned. I'd watch the behind the scenes um you know, footage or documentaries that would be out there and ultimately kind of realized that I was fascinated by it and I wanted to contribute in the storytelling. And what I then decided to do was kind of similarly at the same time, I started playing, uh, I was getting my guitar and I, I decided I want to learn how to play John Williams music but on on guitar um and as i was doing that i was learning you know different parts and i thought gosh you know if i could just get some people to also learn some parts we can kind of create our own orchestra of drums and bass and you know synths and guitar and play live and all this stuff and I just and it just felt like such a huge undertaking that I uh, I ultimately didn't really do it, but I was so compelled by you know these just masters of of um, film scoring that I would start kind of playing around with my free programs on my computer, figuring out how you know Danny Elfman or uh, Hans Zimmer or John Williams would kind of craft their pieces and I realized it's a whole new world you know the the idea that I could immerse myself in a way that I never had before was really exciting and that I could actually contribute to other people's stories was incredibly compelling um, and there's a huge learning curve and I loved that. I loved the fact that, you know, there's this whole new unknown world to me that I could, I could kind of play with. And I looked at uh, composers like Danny Elfman and Hans Zimmer in particular were really inspiring because they did not come from classical or orchestral or jazz backgrounds. You know, they were rock, new wave, you know, musicians who played in bands and they made their own transition, you know, not too unsimilar to mine. And I thought, gosh, if they could do this, maybe I could do this too. And, and at the same time, I have people like John Williams and um, Jerry Goldsmith, uh, you know, these classic iconic scores that I grew up listening to and thought, gosh, you know, I want to be able to write that. And while those styles of all those composers have their own styles, um, one thing is true of all of them is they know how to tell a good story through music. And that's kind of the chase that I'm after is, is, is continuing to understand, you know, how to develop my music for directors, for writers um, and producers in the best way that I can. So one of the questions I had actually um, kind of touching on that, 
<clears throat> excuse me, going off of, you know, the roots of some of your favorite film composers, how do you think that the roots of someone like Danny Elfman, how do you think that your roots could maybe translate into a similar career for yourself in your future coming from your background? Just kind of delve like more into where you come from musically and where you want to go. Right. Uh, great question. And to that point, I, one thing that I really pride myself in, at least in terms of playing music and playing in bands, I played in punk rock, alt rock kind of bands. And there's very much a DIY do it yourself mentality. We never chased the big record label. And while we did have, my band did have, um, and if you're not familiar, I, uh, the band that I played in for many years is called uh, The Mighty Fine. And we, while we wanted to obviously have record labels notice us and, and be able to distribute our, our records, and, and eventually we would, the goal was not simply to expect others to take care of our progress for us but rather that you know it is upon ourselves to put in the work to promote ourselves to do all the the legwork and the heavy duty lifting so that if there was an opportunity to work with a record label or two that we didn't get lost in ourselves um, in hopes that they would kind of make everything better for us and i think for me that that's really translated in a way that has instilled in my work ethic and it makes me kind of have this mentality that, you know, I'm not going to just try to do the quick and easy route. I know that's, you know, that's a pipe dream and sure. Some composers, you know, they, they have good fortune there. They're great writers. They're great storytellers and maybe they're, you know, their way to the top is quicker than others but the reality of this is it's it's a demanding job it's hard it's um it's really fun and we get to collaborate and that's the other point of it is the collaboration aspect is that when you play in a band you have to be collaborative and you have to know how to talk with others and communicate um and for better or for worse, I probably wasn't as good of a communicator when I played my bands as I am now. And I've, you know, I wish I could take things that I know now and apply it to back then. But I, I at least I can go the other way around. There's things that I've learned through these experiences as a musician playing music with really special people and and knowing, you know, kind of what the expectation is. And that's that's really similar to how I create these relationships with um, say you guys or other directors that I get to work with. I get to create these bonds and we get to create our own shorthands and every director has a different way of doing these things. And it's really important for someone who's considering becoming a film composer or who is one to remember that they, they, you know, are there to serve a story and to serve a film that is much larger than themselves. And while you play music in a band, you're kind of writing your own music and playing your own music, unless you're in a cover band, you really, um, and you take pride in it. There's a certain sense of freedom in film scoring because 
it's it's not yours at the end of the day you know i did not whatever i come up with was not inspired solely by me it was inspired by the conversations and the story that i have with uh the collaborators that i work with and so all those things that i took with me from uh my band days i don't know if i would have had the confidence um to keep going as a film composer i think that was part of my mental grasp was I really felt like because I had that band experience and communication experience and, and um, you know, the drive from being in a band, it felt like I, it, it was more possible for me to do it um, as I made that transition to become a composer. One uh point i was listening to an interview with uh thomas newman and he was talking about why he loves working with sam mendes so much and he says because i will bring sam mendes a piece of music that i think this is awesome this is like i nailed it and he will listen to it and go no this sucks and i'll clarify <laughs> like it's not that the music sucks is that it sucks for whatever the scene is or whatever the part in the movie is he's like no this is wrong this doesn't work and he loves sam mendes because he will be blunt about it and just be like hey we need to head this direction instead right and that is that kind of shorthand that you're talking about i mean you and i experienced it we were like you know this is great but it doesn't work for this scene let's rework it let's attack it again right absolutely and that's because there is no right or wrong or there is a wrong answer but there is no like right answer until you get it and then it's like yeah that's it yeah. Then, it, then it feels right. And that's really important is when you get feedback from your director and I've, I've gotten all different kinds of feedback and almost all the time, it's always positive. No one's really, I, I maybe I've just aligned myself with, with really positive, encouraging people, but anytime I don't hit the mark, which is often um, on the first or second or third time, you know, really what we find is, I can't take it personally. You take it personally, you're dead in the water, like immediately. You, yeah. ha you have to detach from that. It's really important uh, because you ultimately have to kill your babies. You cannot, you cannot fall in love so much with something. And I learned that early on. And I, I typically don't fall in love with too many things that I write before I send it. At the same time, before I send you that piece of music, I have to feel something out of it myself. If it doesn't move me, <laughs> it's probably not going to move you either. Yeah. Um, so, but it could move me and, and then you can come back and say, well, I love this, but it doesn't work. Right. You know, it doesn't work for this scene. And, you know, the, the really important thing for us to keep in mind is, um, you know, as we navigate through, this, the the forms of co uh, collaboration as filmmakers is that it should never be personal. And the sooner that we can grasp that and realize that the, the, the sooner we move on and, and, and finally kind of communicate and, and figure out what it is that we need to create. And then we're on to the next scene and then, then the next film. And, then, and know, it's really that way with the whole process along the way, because it is a collaborative effort. You know, making a film is never, uh, oh, it's one person. Yeah, the, sometimes, most of the time it's, you know, the director or the writer has a vision, but still you need everybody to be on board 
to be able to achieve that. And along the way, well, you know, one thing is, um, I forget who it was I was listening to, but they said that when you get, in, when, when you get to production, you're not making the movie that you wrote. You're making the movie that your script then informs you to make essentially like your script and the movie you shoot and the movie you edit are three different movies. <laughs> Cause even when you edit, you're making a completely different movie than you did when you shot it because you'll be coming across things like, no, this doesn't work or this could be better this way. So it's like every single step, it changes and it shifts and you have to be, you know, able to roll with those punches. Um, one question I had before we continue and Carlos can ask the next one is um, what was your first official credited uh, composer um, role on a, on a short film or a film? That's a good question. Um, I believe because, you know, once once the credited work started happening, I think a lot of like a lot of them just kind of like came close to like the same time. So I can't remember the order to which came first. Um, I believe it's the first one that I did was uh, a short film called run um, by um, a director named Jordan work. And we had a mutual friend uh, who got me in touch with them. I was really at that point, really eager to start writing the picture. I had been composing for a while, you know, film score styles of music, if we want to call it that. And I was really excited and wanted whatever opportunity that I could to work on someone else's project that gave me direction. And that was really informative. I believe that was the first one I did. Uh, I did a couple others, including one, one of the other big ones that I did and it got, um, it was after this. And, and so my credits came after it too. Um, but was a Star Wars fan film called Remnants of the Order. That was one of, even to this day, one of the most challenging and yet informative experiences for me because I was really tasked to, at the time, to write music that embodied a sense of John Williams. And especially then, you know, I didn't have the orchestral chops to write like that. So it forced me to dive in a little bit. And if I was to write that today, I, you know, I it would definitely be probably lean even closer to that John Williams style than I did back then. But at the same time, I think our director, um, you know, there's an expectation that, you know, this is, this is a fan film. These are fans creating these projects. It, you know, it's, you cannot expect it to be world-class and, and once you accept that, then you're able to have a little more fun with it because you're not just like, Oh my gosh, if people know that this isn't actually John Williams. No, the, the biggest, I think compliment at the time was gosh, this, it, what a lot of people said, when it came out, it came out in um, the end of 2019 and you can find it on YouTube remnants of the order. But a lot of people said, you know, what it did and it did really well is it made it feel like star Wars. And that's ultimately what we wanted was to have a sense of place and tone and feel 
Um, and sure, the or- orchestration and the arrangements aren't, you know, what John Williams would have done. And it didn't need to either. It needed to feel a certain way. And um, I was happy after many grueling long nights, um, we we got it done. I was really happy with it. So really puts into perspective then how bold uh, something like the Mandalorian is musically. If you think about it, it's the first like piece of Star Wars media that doesn't, he, they didn't try to be in the John Williams school of like music. Like, you know, even like Rogue One and Solo, like they definitely tried to emphasize the John Williams-esque type music and Mandalorian comes in and it's like, no, it's something completely different. But I imagine that must have been really scary <laughs> to like say, oh, we're going to do a new sound for Star Wars. It's oh, like, I'm sure. <laughs> I bet it was really liberating, too, at the same time. Yes. Because you can break rules and say, you know what? This just needs to have a heart to their story that they're trying to tell. I, and and I think that with that show coming out and with what uh, Ludwig Gorenson did with that score – will allow you know other people who are making fan films to feel like hey you know what we don't have to do the strictly orchestral route we can yeah. do other things we can do things outside of the box yeah and that's really fun really inspiring and i'm i'm excited you know cuz i i i love star wars and i want to participate you know as much as i can um within the context of my schedule and i hope that i you know i plan at some point to do another star wars fan film that i can score and if their directive is to write something outside the box i'm gonna do it and if they say hey you know we need something more williams-esque or pal-esque or um you know Giacchino, certainly we'll we'll tackle that as well and you know it's it's it as long as it serves their story that's i'm totally up for it um, it's it's interesting that you bring up the fan film because while that itself it, it's technically an original piece of work it's obviously based on something that is previously created but even still your score is an original work of yours it is it's not tied basically into into anything pre-existing so how does that same kind of mentality apply into all your other original work in the sense of I need to create a sound for something that nobody knows about. So any of the other short films or features you worked on, how does that same kind of work ethic apply? Kind of like working off the temp tracks. Like even we gave you, you gave, we gave you temp tracks, but you had to create something mm-hmm. that was new and unique to the project, even though we were giving you pre-existing music. Like you had to tell the story, to, you, you have to tell a musical story of Sarah. And, and nobody knows what Sarah is. So how, what is your approach to that? Lots of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of fundamentally understanding what it is we're trying to tell. That's, that's for me, that's rule number one. I don't even need to know what style of music yet until I need to know what is the tone? What are you trying to say? So I will spend as much time in those discussions as I can possible before I start writing the music. Um, and some projects, it's pretty straightforward. I did a, um, I did a documentary 
in the fall called Take Two about the Lompoc uh, Theater and you know the hopes to renovate it uh, for a modern audience when you know we get past COVID and. The directive of the music was pretty simple, um, you know, very much hearkened to like a, Sil- a Silvestri, Goldsmith, Williams kind of style. And, and, and then through that, we talked about, okay, here's some key moments of we needed a little more fun here. We need a little bit more slightly emotional, um, what have you. And the directive was pretty quick and very well understood. Um but it was a short documentary that I think was not meant to um, challenge us in a way that let's say Sarah does. So when I work with you, Kyle, with Sarah, that is a multi-layered complex film. And with that, the music has to um, lean into it at times and other times it needs to kind of pull away from it. And in order for me to understand when to do what, I need to just get a good understanding of where you're coming from, what you want your audience to feel, what are we, what are our characters feeling? If the music's there, what is the music supposed to do? And what is the music saying that if it wasn't there would be missing? Right. And those are those are important questions to ask early on. And as I get answers to those, then I can begin to take ownership of the music. I can take the music and we've kind of defined what the rules are. And you know, you may say, hey, you know, we've tempted the music, we have temp tracks for our you know, cut of the film. And, and we want to kind of keep it totally within this, but make it your own. Um, that can be challenging as well. And I think it's just a lot of playing around with, with sounds and tones. And I like to compare things to, you know, cooking a nice meal and, you know, what are the ingredients that we're going to use? What's the quality of the ingredients? You know, are these fresh? Are they dry? Are they frozen are they you know and and so as we start figuring that out then we can kind of figure out okay cool like what do we want to do with with sarah we created a lot of instruments i spent about two or three weeks recording a ton of different things from my bathtub draining water to um wine glasses to tape guns um to my cello that i can't really play but recorded me playing it anyway and then sampled it so it sounds like i know what i'm doing um and in doing that and communicating these different sounds to each other we start figuring out what works and what doesn't and as you get into the film a little bit more and the longer the film i think the more layers or potentially can be you start to realize that uh, as you're establishing sounds and tones and you know maybe melodic structures and whatnot things begin to i find fall in place a little bit more sure there there might be some big scenes where there's a lot of crazy things we have to worry about Uh, but as you get through the film it it takes on its identity musically because we've all agreed, all parties have now agreed that this is what what's working 
and as it continues to work it works you know i think a little bit quicker a little bit quicker a little bit quicker and so that's that's really my approach to creating you know whether it's something that's atonal or melodic um or sometimes both um we just have to experiment a little bit and you know certainly time is a factor to that too and we have to trust our instinct we have to and that's why i think it's really important as a film composer that we understand and continue to improve our understanding of how scripts are written story structure um cinematography to certain degrees and you know i don't have to be a, a necessarily an expert of all these things editing you know but the more that you see and the more that you digest and watching great films is a huge part of that because you watch these classic films and why does it work and if we start looking at all these pieces it's all these various factors that bring the film together that have all been woven in such a way that moves us and i think the more that we digest that and and apply what we are watching and digesting i think the easier it might be to um maybe not easier but it's certainly we can learn to trust our instincts because we've innately absorbed so many different factors in it one thing that i was i've always been really impressed about uh with uh, regards to becoming rich is that um you know it's not a scripted piece you know it's a documentary and i think one thing that you know carlos and i have always taken away from like the documentaries we've seen that like really like get us emotionally or get us invested so the filmmakers behind them, you know, they understand the fundamental concept that even though it's a documentary and it's a real, real story, you're still making a movie. You're still making a film. You're still trying to tell a story. It just happens to be real. And I think that's one thing we've always tried to take into our documentary filmmaking is that no matter what we're documenting, there's a significant beginning, middle and an end to the story and development and like you're saying as the story goes on people get more invested and get you know learn more about the characters involved and one thing that always blew me away about your music and in, in becoming rich is it's a it's a 20 minute you know 25 minute film and in that short amount of time there's already all these like you're talking about the layers you know i feel like sometimes there are probably more layers in rich than there are in sarah as far as the amount of you have you have these motifs and other other bits that kind of recur, but they play in such different unique ways, like how you use them in different styles. And I don't know if you want to talk about all the different styles you got to experiment with on Rich. Becoming Rich was uh, to this day one of the the most fun projects I've gotten to work on. Um, and largely, uh, Carlos, you did a great job of framing that film in such a way that. Um, you know, you're talking about this magician who, you know, had, you know, a kind of a rocky past and, you know, had obstacles and there's conflict within the story of truth. And at the same time, you also captured the essence of him as an individual and as a magician in such a way that it was fun and it was out there and kind of daring and the music reflected that. And in order to, to for the music to reflect that, you know, we did have to um, 
you know, make sure that we had a good understanding of like what you're going for. Um, it was really cool because I wasn't entirely sure when I went into that film, how much thematic material there was going to be in there. I, I knew I didn't want everything to just to sound like randomly needle dropped in. And so in order to do that, there were little pieces and um, motific uh, elements that I was able to um, evolve in, in certain ways. And in doing so, you know, listening back to that, that score, I actually, I listened to it a um, couple months ago and it's like, gosh, you know, listening to it made me realize like how much fun I had doing it because, you know, there's tracks where I'm, you know, I'm actually playing bass or, you know, playing guitar and other tracks, you know, there's rock and drums. And then there's other tracks where, you know, there's emotional beats to it where, you know, you've got, you know, kind of these strings that are playing the same uh, motifs that the guitar was doing, you know, a few scenes earlier and that was really really fun because it, it you don't get to do that a lot in in narrative storytelling um usually you know once you set the tone that's kind of the tone with this i think it spoke so much to the character of rich um you know, who's a real person. Rich Ferguson is an incredibly versatile uh, person who inspires people, makes people laugh. And, you know, he's got, um, you know, this sense of heart that he has to him and sincerity and, and, and watching the film in the way that you, that you put it all together. That's what inspired me to, come up with all those different styles and moods of music. Um, Cause if I had just done it myself, I may have gotten somewhere in some general ballpark, but I probably would be a little more aimless. Hence why I'm not a director. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I will say I'm a filmmaker. Uh, I think that's what composers were supposed to say is we're filmmakers. Yeah, we're all uh, filmmakers. We, we are. Um, but I really look to trust mm -hmm. the director I'm working with to know what their vision is. And just like we trust you yeah. with your vision. <laughs> with <the music. laughs> I wouldn't trust myself at the piano composing for a film. <laughs> at all. Well, I will say... Um, I didn't play piano at all until I started film scoring. And, you know, I, every project I get a little, little bit uh, more creative and, uh, you know, at least when you do it on the, like on the computer behind me, you can sequence af after you yeah. record things, you can fix timings and things like that. I noticed, you know, my actual playing um, is getting more proficient and it, I, it, I can come up with ideas much quicker now. And when I was starting to f write f um, for strings or brass or um, really any instrument, I would always at the time, like where are the notes and what's the relationship of that? Um, but definitely now when I do it, things are more like, Hey, how would I do it as I'm playing it on the keyboard? Cause a lot of the stuff I do, if I'm not recording it myself or, or hiring a live musician, it's going to be me playing some kind of 
sample of, you know, a real tuba. Mm -hmm. One that I, I wanted to ask you about, because I don't know too much about it, is this uh, integration. Because I listened to that on uh, your Spotify and definitely some big uh, Blade Runner vibes on that. Oh, yeah. Integration. Um, that was a, a short film, a Canadian production uh, by a director named Chris Fisher. And it's a short film. Gosh, it might be about eight minutes. The music, there's music from beginning to end. Yeah. The, the soundtrack is, I wrote it in, I think, five or six different parts, five or six different cues that we tackled, but the music plays pretty much from beginning to end. When I released the soundtrack, I decided just to put it all into one long listening experience. It seemed a little more fun that way. It was, yeah. <laughs> and it, the film itself is very much a um, Blade Runner, you know, sci-fi noir inspired um, short. And there was no question that the directive was we we need to make this you know some something between blade runner and blade runner 2049 all right cool like you know i'll have at it it was like those heavy like pulsing like electronic drums and really cool stuff going on there yeah you know that that happened i scored that right after my second daughter, Lucy, was born. She was two months, about two months old. We had just moved into an apartment in between the houses that we were living in. And, you know, she was, it was such a blur because she was sleeping in our room and she was a terrible sleeper at the time. And the apartment was so small that, you know, I didn't have a studio. All my stuff, a smaller version of this was in, uh, was in my bedroom, me and my wife. And so I'd have like a noisemaker on in the background. I'd always have my headphones on as I'm doing the score. And I felt like I was a zombie while I was making it. I, 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 while I remember it, um, I was so in the zone <laughs> at the moment it was kind of like and i didn't have much time to do it i think i i think that score you know from beginning to end with mixing you know i might have had a week to, wow. to <laughs> week to do it and so there was a couple clear things of like in terms of like what are we trying to do here and and as we were talking before identifying the motivations of um the story what is the intent of the music? Why are we going to have it here? I already know it's going to be Blade Runner-esque. So then I start, um, and with that, that film, I didn't create really any of my own sounds. I think I used a lot of different um, synths, um, software synths that I have. And um, I just pushed them to the limit and created a lot of new effects with them. Um, I, I think right before that film, I did a lot of research um, on mixing techniques that would give me the scope that the music needed to have. Because if you listen to that score, it's very big. It's it's quite electronic. I mean, there's there's really no... I think there might be two 
small parts where there's some like very faint strings or cello in there and a little bit of piano at the end. Everything else is, is a synthesizer. There's a lot of dynamic range in it too. Like how, you know, there are times where it's really big and then there are times where it then gets very small and very intimate. Yeah. I mean, like, as you said, like it's a listening experience for about eight minutes long. And um, like, I haven't seen the film yet, but I already have like, at least like a mental image of like of a story, you know, in my head musically, you know, and it's, it's mm-hmm. very strong in that sense. So I'm excited to see it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That was, that was really, um, that was really fun to play with those dynamics. Um, when you play punk rock music, dynamics don't exist really. Like, okay, you know, you might have one little quiet part in your entire set, but <laughs> you're pretty much, you know, turning it up to eleven, yeah, <laughs> all the time. So getting to getting to sit with dynamics and understand the power in that the power of the quietness is huge. You know, silence in films is huge. I don't want to score a scene that doesn't need music. There's been times where, and I try, I try to stay out of it, but there there's, there'll be time to time. I'll, I'll come to a scene where the director wants music here. And I have to at least question whether there really should be music there um not because i don't want to write it i do you know but maybe it's the performance or maybe it's the cinematography or maybe it's the whole scene collectively that just imbues this sense of it has everything it needs Mm -hmm. and if i do anything to it whatever i do to it will take you away from it at any capacity. And so, um, you know, I have to be respectful of our, our filmmaker's vision. And if he says, he says, or she says, you know, well, I still want music in there. Then, then we, then we put music in there and maybe let them decide later that, you know, Oh, maybe, maybe he was right that we should take it out. Um, I think one good example of that, at least in, in, recent memory is um and of course this isn't to down you know put anybody down because that's that's not what we're doing here but um in tenet i i have to say as a listening experience while watching the movie tenet was very i mean it was wall-to-wall music and sound and there was no let up you know whereas you look at a movie like inception um or even the dark knight you know that that uh, hans zimmer and nolan worked on together there's a lot of like dynamic shift of when the big moments hit they're big moments, but then there are a lot of the smaller moments in between to really emphasize those bigger moments. And in fact, dark Knight, there are quite a few moments where there's no music whatsoever. Um, or like with the whole, the whole Joker theme, how it's just the one, you know, like electric cello note that just like kind of creeps in and slides up, but it allows for breathing room, you know, and that's what made those, those films and scores so great. And, and I mean, Tenet has its strengths, don't get me wrong, but for me watching it, it was just an overwhelming experience where I don't even know if I liked it or not because the entire time I, my, my ears and my, my brain was just getting hammered with sound, 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 sound. <laughs> it was like, there's no let up, there's no break. And I think what you're saying is important as far as, you know, there really, I think there does need to be those moments to then 
at least give your brain, your mind a, a moment to say, okay, whew, I can digest what I just listened to. Let me prepare for the next part. Otherwise it's like indiscernible. Yeah. Otherwise there's, there's one thing I remember from, <clears throat> from the process of rich um, trying to remember what cue it was in particular, but I remember there were a couple of cues that, I mean, we worked through quite a bit. Um, one specifically was, I think the one where he introduces kind of his, his, his world of YouTube. And there's that little segment before where he's watching one of his pranks on the, on the today show. And there was, there was a bit with like a really whimsical, like cello or bass or something. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first listened to it, I was like, this is too much. Like <laughs> too, much, too much bass to it. Yeah. Too much bass. As far as it was really hammering in, Oh, this is a, a whimsical moment. This is a time to breathe. And I think we settled on something really minimal there because, and it, and it works for me because honestly that scene in its, in and of itself is a transition. Mm -hmm. And so there were just moments in that process that I remember were kind of fulfilling in that sense that you could work through different variations of something and hit all those points of that dynamic range that we were talking about. But my, my next question that I wanted to ask was about more of the technical side. So I wanted to know like how much you could go into as far as what is, what are the technical elements of your process? Like what, what do you do? Um, so I should, I should ask, um, are you referring to, you know, my computer setup or my, how I, just, how I work or kind of how you work and, and even blending the technology with even, like you said, the, the live keys of you playing the cello or the bass, like kind of what, how technical is your process? When, when you're done with the conversations, you know, with your director and everything, what, where, do I, is, where do you start? Where do, you start? <laughs> where do I start? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I spend about anywhere between an hour and, 24 hours uh kind of questioning if i can even do what they're asking me to do um and you know don't worry directors um you know every composer whether they tell you or not they they go through that um for me what i will do is i will typically um watch the film on my own after you know we've had our spotting session um you know, and I've probably seen the film before the spotting session. I'll see the film and then I will typically watch it as many times as needed to before I kind of break in. Sometimes I don't have the time to do that. And it's just like, okay, as soon as that spotting session hits um, and I know what the directive is, it's time to go. And I basically break down. Um, I have a cue sheet. And so all the scenes that are going to have music, um, I basically cut little videos from the, the film into those cues. And so I'm able to set up my uh, logic sessions. So I use logic pro. And um, from there, I will go ahead and input the video in and I will put markers on any spots that have critical notes, um, you know, parts where it's like, okay, right here we have a hard cut, you know, put a little stinger on there or um, on this part, you know, change the emotion, you know, it's, it's no longer sadness, it's, uh, it's regret or it's animosity. And, you know, so I know, okay, at, at this point, this is where I need to 
kind of change things. If there's tempo involved, um, I will watch the scene multiple times to kind of figure out, if, you know, if, if, especially if we're having a percussion of any sort, trying to figure out what the general tempo of the scene is. Um, and I'll have probably already had a discussion on that, at least to some degree with the director, but I will try to figure that out um, as soon as possible. So then that way, once that happens, I can start working. Um, depending on the film, uh, if I have some extra time and it's something that the director is really looking forward to, I will create custom sounds for the film. It's something I love to do because I feel like filmmaking is such a personal process and we want to put our stamp on it. We want to make sure that everything that we're doing, there's elements that we're, we're kind of pushing boundaries to some degree. And I like knowing that some of the sounds of the score is something that no one else has been able to do. Maybe it sounds familiar to something else, but some of these sounds you can't buy anywhere. You know, they, they are unique to that film because I created them. I, you know, uh, I'm working on this uh, short horror film right now called The Shack. And uh, without giving anything away, one thing that I did that I'm, you know, and I'm still scoring it right now. But one thing that I did prior was I was able to record a few things for the film. And one was um, my dog bowls. So I've got two great Pyrenees and I, you know, every time I go and grab their bowls and I go feed them, I've, I got one in each hand and I kind of finger tap them. And one has a different tone than the other one. And I'll play them like this, just tapping on my, and I can hear one going to one ear, one going to the other ear. And I thought, gosh, you know, it'd be kind of cool if I recorded those. So I did, I sampled them. And so now on my MIDI keyboard behind me here, um, they're tri they're triggered by the keyboard, uh, the samples of the dog bowls, and then I applied some various effects to it, and so now it's got this cool, more cryptic, percussive kind of element to it um, that I use in a in a really uh, important scene of the film, and they sound very very much like an out of tune percussive instrument that we've probably heard before. But they're not those because I, I made those. And that is something that I, I take a lot of pride in is, is creating these elements. And if I have the time, it's really important to me to do it. When I did um, Becoming Rich, I hadn't really done a whole lot of that before. Um, I think Becoming Rich was the first time I actually tried anything like that. And I actually took, um, I took a, a part where Rich says... Uh, shape the magic. And I turned him saying that I, I stretched time, stretched it out. So he says really slow. And then I pitched his voice down and pitched his voice up and I, and I tuned it in a way that then I could play a synthesizer of him saying, shape the magic. And I thought it was fun just because I'm shaping his own voice yeah. in a musical sense. And yeah. then I was and, and so that was kind of the start of, of it. And now I can create um, these custom sounds much quicker. That took me a long time because I had just never done it before. Didn't you uh, do something with the cards as well, playing cards? I was 
going to. I don't think I ever did though. Oh, okay. I think I I think I had the intention to do it. I, I didn't. It was just, an idea that was. It wasn't. Not... It was an idea, and I wish I you know now if we were going to do. <laughs> You know, part two, I would <laughs> certainly do that in a heartbeat and would do something really percussive, something fluttering with those uh, card shuffling. Um, but that's, yeah, that's really something that I have a lot of fun doing is creating these sounds because, um, you know, depending on the film, it could be highly orchestral or highly synthesized um, or somewhere in between. And, you know, if we can just kind of color it and shade it in with these other elements, um, it really makes it our own. And I just want to uh, touch on something because we don't have time to go into it today, but uh, it's on your YouTube channel is uh, if you're watching this or listening to this and uh, want to know about a really cool behind the scenes process that Brooke and I went through as far as reimagining a piece of classical music uh, for the upcoming film, Sarah, uh, you can check out his YouTube channel, um, which we'll link and um check out a really cool behind the scenes discussion about that. Cause that was a process that was fun though. And I, that I, was so was much fun, quite a daunting task. I dropped on you. But... Yeah. Scared the crap out of me. <laughs> but yeah, that discussion's on, on his channel and you can take a look at that for a great time with it. There. Yeah. It was a good time. Yeah. Um, are, do you have any questions for us as we kind of get to the end of this? Yeah. I mean, for you guys, uh, I mean, I'd love to hear from each of you, you know, with certainly we are in a different state of, um, you know, producing stories, right. <laughs> with, with COVID-19 and everything that's transpired over the last year. And, you know, with the uncertainty of, of quite when we can all kind of do things a little more fluidly again, have you been able to stay creatively active and feel like you are working towards something that we that we may be able to see in the future or do like you hard well, to start with that okay um yeah definitely i think my perspective is, is a little different obviously because going to school kind of promotes that just naturally semester in particular where um for classwork you know to keep progressing in the major i took a production class and as as a group each each person in the group had to direct a short film and so i did i directed the first short here that i had that i um, well the first short that i directed here was made last semester so i've worked on stuff but i haven't been you know in the director's chair so it was pretty cool to basically kind of take a hold of my own project and it was it was really hard because at the end of i think we started shooting in the beginning of november and that was right when new state restrictions came down. So the state of Utah has been doing handling things quite differently than California. Um, we're not in nearly the same lockdown. We're not, no, nothing has been happening in that sense until the beginning of November when they started really enforcing, you know, staying, you know, stay in your own household, stuff like that. No productions were being canceled left and right. Um, events were being canceled for the first time and it just really started coming down hard. So the film program really suffered in that sense that they allowed us to work on our productions, but they were really stripped down. Things had to be changed. Our actors on camera had to wear masks and that didn't make our actors very happy because they, they really felt it negatively impacted their performance. 
my short was just a cute little uh, uh, short film about um, a clean freak who goes on a date with someone who has absolutely no sense of personal hygiene. And so it's, <laughs> it's about the, the That's fitting. It, it was actually really fun. And it worked out because we were able to have a really clean set with the amount of hand sanitizer present. And um, the mask kind of played in perfectly. We were able to work that into the story. And so it was just really fun to work with actors and, and get the creative juices flowing. But um, even with those challenges, I felt that really inspired me, especially over the Christmas break, to kind of want to do something of my own as well. So I have, have some ideas in the can, but as of right now, I'm working on a short film with two of my um, co-students. Uh, it's called Gizmo. It's about the complexities of a crumbling marriage as told from the perspective of the household. So it'll be a really oh, you cut out there. <laughs> oh, it's about the complexities of a crumbling marriage as told from the perspective of the household cat. <laughs> Entirely from the perspective. So it's a really, really cool concept. Um, but it has it has there's a lot of depth to this story, I feel. And we're really kind of pushing forward with this and we're hoping that we can make it, you know, the best. And it's really exciting that it's something it'll be one of the first things I'm doing in a leadership position outside of class. So I think it's really cool to see that, especially with all the obstacles we're facing, we still want to create and we still want to tell really cool stories. So that one, you know, we're, we're just starting pre-production on it. Last night was our first production meeting and it looks like it's going to be, going to be a really promising short film. Nice. In uh, October, I believe, well, I, the discussion started in September, but, um, I actually got to be on uh, behind the scenes photographer on set of a film that shot here in San Luis Obispo. Um, and we were shooting over kind of by the, the your winery uh, mm -hmm. over in that area. Um, and that was actually a really great experience. The film's called Brute Force. Um, they're just, just beginning post-production. So it's gonna be a while before it comes out. But uh, it was a really great experience, uh, not only just for being on an actual film set, but also seeing a properly run COVID uh, safe uh, film set. Uh, they took, did a lot, you know, all the proper precautions. They had the proper crew members who were COVID certified. Uh, it was really interesting to see that still be able to happen. And uh, I think they filmed for 22, 23 days in the month of October. And uh, not a single you know, not a single case, not a single uh, accident, anything. Um, they tested, they did, you know, rapid testing all the time and they operated out of a pod system. So basically they stayed at a hotel, but they all stayed together at the hotel and never left except to go to set together. So they stayed as a unit, as a pod. And uh, it was really cool to experience. I was distanced, you know, I was, I was away from everybody, but I was able to take photos of some of the cooler uh, shoot days. And uh, yeah, being able to see people still be able to work, still be able to create, you know, even during this time, you know, with the proper responsibility, uh, you know, handled the way it should be. Um, it was really encouraging. And um, over the fall, we started, or I started, uh, carrying out a project, Carlos and I started uh, brainstorming over the summer last year, which is to um, we're working on a, an upcoming like online series, like a YouTube series. We're going to drop uh, probably sometime mid middle of this year, uh, and it'll be documenting a certain 
um, big personalities or people who have had uh, major successes that have come and settled down primarily here in Cambria. Um, and we are, uh, some of the names we have involved are violinist Bryn Albanese, we've got um, author Catherine Ryan Hyde, and uh, legendary screen actor uh, Nehemiah Persoff. Uh, so some big names, people who live here in the in Central Coast, live here in Cambria. Um, we're working on that, and that's kind of our next next bigger project, as well as a documentary project. We're, we're another documentary project we're embarking on, um, as well as um, just continuing to write <laughs> and seeing where that takes us, and seeing what the next project is. And when Carlos comes home from the summer, we'll probably be collaborating with a friend of ours on doing another one of his short films. So, staying busy. It's <laughs> great. I think one of the main things for <clears throat> Super Image as a whole right now is a lot of people, so for the people who do know about Super Image, they know Super Image and they know the films, they know the products, but they don't really know us. So yeah. this is this is one of the things that we're trying to do that is really helping people understand where we're coming from, who we are, and exactly where we're going. Because yeah. we have we have a lot of ideas, we have a lot of, you know, we're, we're raring to go in the pen, but we're, we, we really want people to understand and be able to support us. So something like this, you know, being able to talk to you, who is someone who's collaborated with us multiple times before, and hopefully many times in the future, um, that's just one of our ways of, of connecting with the community. And I think that it's going to be really cool going forward, you know, seeing where we can go with this. Yeah. Well, you guys are doing a great job and you guys are always inspiring <laughs> me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to get to work with you guys. And we're, uh, we're excited to see what you're working on next. Oh yeah. <laughs> always working, always working. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, uh, no complaints about it whatsoever. Very that's blessed good. in that sense. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that uh, concludes this uh, this episode. Thank you for watching. Uh, thank you for listening. If you're on the listening end, and uh, look forward to seeing you the next time. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs>